last year between the two companies, between our bulk side and our depackaging side, we were just under 3 million tons. Um, so 3 million tons. 3 million tons in the, between Oregon and Washington. <laughs> that went to animal feed versus somewhere landfill. else. Landfill. Or compost. Compost, or whatever. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Okay, so food waste in our food system is a big concern right now. Lots of people are talking about it, but no one seems to be talking about a solution. Well, a solution is already happening, and it's happening right here in the Pacific Northwest, in Washington and Oregon, and this week's guest is doing it, and he wants to roll out what he's doing across the entire country and change this food waste issue that we have in our system forever. His name is Luke Dines. He's a farmer turned entrepreneur turned food upcycler. And we talked with him on a dairy farm in Sunnyside, one of the clients that he works with. It's incredible what he's doing. He's developed technology that nobody else has, and he wants to change the food waste problem we have once and for all. You're going to enjoy this conversation getting to know Luke Dines. Do want to thank our sponsors. Brand new sponsor for the next couple of weeks is the Washington Shakeout. The Great Shakeout. It's coming up in October 1021 on 1021. What, what does that mean? At 1021 a.m. on October 21st, the Shakeout happens. It's an earthquake drill. Drop, cover, and hold on is the message they want you to remember. And you need to be prepared for this because we live in earthquake country here in Washington and the Pacific Northwest. We know one day the big one will arrive. We don't know when, but it will happen. And there are tiny earthquakes around here all the time. All it takes is for one of those, I mean, we don't even need to wait for the big one. A, a smaller but still significant earthquake can be dangerous, and you need to know what to do. Go to shakeout.org slash Washington. Find out more details. Again, it's at 1021 a.m. on 1021, October 21st. Be prepared for the Washington shakeout and then also... Find out more details on other emergency preparedness steps that you can make sure to take. Also, Mana Insurance Group, um, interesting to follow up. They're, are, they're all about planning ahead as well, um, rather than waiting until things go wrong and picking up the pieces. Um, a company founded by a high school classmate of mine, great guy, and I know a lot of people on their team as well, really trust those folks, and that's where I have my insurance, and I, I would urge you to connect with them if you can to find out what they can do for you, whether it's, you know, home insurance, whether it's for your farm, your business, life insurance, you name it. Uh, they can work with you on uh, medical insurance issues as well, and of course, auto. Uh, talk to them at Mana Insurance Group, Mana Insurance Group, Dot com. Also, Dairy Farmers of Washington supporting the podcast. We appreciate their support and we appreciate the work that they're doing every day to highlight the excellent dairy products, high quality stuff that's produced right here in Washington State. And as well, show you the farmers like we do here on the podcast, show you the real farmers producing dairy here in Washington. In fact, you can get a full virtual farm tour on their website, wadairy.org. Go check it out. And thank them and thank Dairy Farmers of Washington for sponsoring the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is our continuing journey to get to know the real people behind the food we have and produce here in Washington State. So somebody who would see your listing would say, oh, well, that's like a trucking company, which in my mind, hearing a little bit about what you do, that's like calling a farm a tractor driving company or something right like there's so much more to what you're doing how do you describe it yeah so we 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 face that a lot because we own a lot of trucks just to facilitate the moving and the ebbs and flows and everything that we do with the, the process but we're we're not a trucking company we do absolutely like Maybe one percent of our business is is a custom trucking business. The rest of it is we own every product we haul, almost every load we haul. We buy it, 
we process it, we trade it. And, and that's how we manage our quality control. That's how we manage that our customers have consistent outbound coming out of the processing plants. And, and that's how we also manage that our customers on the sales side have consistent supply coming in. And that's how we get to have our hands in the understanding of quality control. So we understand what we're doing. And then we have our depackaging side of things that it's really, we're picking up feed at a feed supply place no different than somebody would pick up feed at the feed store Mm -hmm. when we're picking up feed at the french fry plants or the the dry good plants or the ingredient plants or the uh distribution plants for the grocery stores to us we're picking up feed no different than anybody else would go to the the feed store and pick up a a feed bag so you're like a I don't know, again, like what you would call yourself, but I would say like food waste recycler. Yeah, I mean, we we don't like the food waste side because it's not waste to us. It's feed to us, yeah. right? So it's not really a waste. It's, Just like dairy farmers talk about manure, it's not waste. Yeah, it's, it's nutrients that you need. Exactly. So to us, we don't like the fact that there's not another term yet. Like we're we're really working on a term because we don't, Food waste to us is the scraps that come out of your off your plate at the end of the day at dinner, and that's food waste. That's something that nobody ate. That's something that nobody wanted. Like that that goes to a compost or a digester or something. We what we do is not waste. It's feed. We just get it in a package, whether it's a fifty pound box or a fifty pound bag or an eight ounce single serve. It it's just packaging for us. So it's like food that's like what expired or something that they couldn't sell. Yeah, so for us, a lot of what we get is something that, you know, maybe a cold storage went, maybe they had an electrical problem and they couldn't guarantee that they kept human consumption feed to a certain temperature for a long time. We just got a call yesterday that there was a dry van that shipped 300 miles, and but when it got to where it went, they didn't, their, their uh, reefer wasn't working. Well, the driver didn't know it went out partway there. Well, they can't guarantee it. So human consumption rules and us as consumers don't want to buy that. So there's quality control checks. And when it gets quality control checked out, then where do we go with it? Well, do we go to the landfill or do we go to somebody that wants to buy it for feed? Right. And, and we manage it as feed. I mean, to us, it's, it's feed. And it stays in the food system. Yes. It gets fed to animals. Yeah, it's and ultimately still becomes food. Yeah, it's it's literally the best upcycling process you can get. We just put a stage in there that we can make it into uh, feed without having the the quality issues. And we we went through year a couple of years of trying to find a machine that would do what we wanted to do to be able to depackage these feed products and not have you know garbage or plastic or whatever in it and we could not find one that's manufactured and with our other company our trucking company we own a full-fledged fab shop and cnc machines and the whole works so i said we're, we're gonna build one so me and my boys and my partner we we spent months in there building one and testing mm. one and Three years later, we have one that makes the quality with the clean, no trash, no, like we, we got it to a spec that, that we could process it and have feed to us and to the rest of the world, you know, it, it was garbage to us, right. it's feed. And we've been able to manage that through quality control and, and building the equipment and, and, and patenting the equipment and processing the equipment because we couldn't buy it. So no one else anywhere is doing it like this. Nobody has the equipment we have. You, there's a lot of depackaging equipment available, but that depackaging equipment has a lot of uh, residue in it. The, you know, depending on what machine you get, it's either spinning it and making little pieces of plastic and whatever in the process. You cannot be feeding animals plastic. No, you can't, you can't <sighs> do that. And so for us, we had to develop the product where we were opening it. We had to develop the machine where we were opening the, the packaging, not shredding the packaging. And so it took us, we're on version eight. Mm. Three years, we're on version eight. We literally scrapped seven of them. <laughs> so 
that that's where that it took us some time and some dedication to do it but that can't be cheap to go through that process either no no luck <laughs> luckily for us it's all in-house and you know as most farmers my time's free yeah. right like <laughs> i don't really don't really do it but yeah. outside of feed and agriculture my my hobby is is the shop the farm mm. shop like that's that's where i go to get my head clear that's so it was a fun thing for me and my boys and and everybody to do to just develop because that's that's like my say that's my favorite place to be that's actually how i grew up on my farm with my dad we both loved to fabricate in the shop and we didn't do anything too sophisticated but we would love to dream up new ways of doing things and then build it yeah that's it's exactly fun that's exactly what we did and and the way it started was 2000 late 2017 we had a customer that we do bulk byproducts for out of their plant that called they their normal hauler that hauled it to the landfill didn't have equipment so they called us to do it and they had like 13 semi loads and we were like man what of what like what what are these uh, kinds of things uh palletized 2000 pound pallets of french fries in, like in the in, pallets in, or in like individual they, packages they were in the big Five pound bags inside fifty pound boxes stacked on two thousand pound pallets, and, and they had gone bad. And they got outdated. They QA'd something, some some reason they had to go to the landfill. And I said, "Well, you know what? Yeah, we'll haul everything to the landfill. Can I have three loads? Like, I, I, there's a better way to do this." And I'd been in the byproduct out of processing business for ten years when that happened. And I said, "Well." There's got to be a better way. There, there's got to be a way we can reuse this. And so we took those loads and mm. we started developing process around, okay, how do we do it? And our first one was pretty rudimentary. We had three people opening boxes, dumping it, and, you know, doing it. And then we said, well, we By can't. By hand. Yep. Right? We, we, we made it so the packages were getting opened in, mechanically but the boxes had to be opened by hand mm. and then we said well that's not going to keep up that's not going to cover what we needed to do so we just kept redeveloping and read and trying and some of them didn't work at all right <laughs> like you try it and you're excited it takes you three weeks to build it and you get there and nothing it literally does not work and you're just okay back back to the old one we'll, yep. we'll try that again and then you just keep going and, and trying to develop it and try to grow the process through and we we came up with the one we had because we built the piece of equipment for something else that we were doing in uh, you know the potato world in the whole potato world because we wanted to size potatoes and so we built this piece of equipment and one of my employees said maybe we should just try that and he took it upon himself to fire it up and try it and he sent me a video of it running a product through it that we needed to run through it. And he said, you already built what you needed to build. You just need to perfect it. Like, here it is. That's awesome. And I was like, you're absolutely right. We're going to, we're going to hone in on yeah. that one. Like, what, what are we doing? You know, so we, version six was a better version of that thing that we built for, for doing another project. And now we're on version eight. And, you know, it, it, what that showed me was, as a company, we really try to listen to our guys and the guys that are doing it and open-minded. And, and those guys that do it every day are the guys that really know, right? And so they bring, we, we try to listen to them and, and train them and work with them. And they train us sometimes, right? <laughs> so yeah. they teach us a lot of things. And, and you know, it, it's just over the last three years has really become a really neat deal, Um you know, I'm proud to say, like, we were struggling with one part of our out outfeed system. And I said, you yeah, know, this is how we do it. And my 12-year-old was in the shop, and he was like, Dad, that doesn't make sense. You should do this. And I'm like, absolutely right. We should do that. Like, it's fun. So my guys tease me that my 12-year-old is the one that perfected the equipment. I have been that 12-year-old. Not on something that fancy, but I, I have done that before. And th that's an awesome feeling as a 12-year-old. Yeah. dad and, and dad says, maybe that will work. Well, let's try it. Yeah. It's awesome. It, 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 it makes me proud as a dad, but like it made me question my, my, my intelligence for, for a few minutes that it was that simple to, to fix yeah. that. But... You know, that it's really just been a group effort of 
all of our guys and and family and everything to get it done and a lot of long hours. So packages of what? Like you talked about French fries. What other kinds of things do you guys find get in packages that is outdated, can't be sold for human consumption and open you guys so, open it. So we feed. do anything from refried beans to uh single serve milk cartons to gallon milks to creamers to uh, lettuce, single heads mm. to pineapples. I mean, we do anything that you see in the grocery store. Mm. We we handle that. We have a different process for glass, but yeah, uh, we don't we don't obviously feed meat to animals because right. that's that's a no no. Yeah, but anything in a package that is not meat and that is not in a glass package, we we handle that and. and- Cows eat it. What else are you feeding it to? Um, 100% cows. cows. 100% cows. And they'll eat all that different kind of stuff. It's all about testing, right? It's all about nutrition. Just like we have nutritionists for us individually, every one of those dairies, every one of those feedlots, every cow guy that's feeding cows, like if they're doing it, they've got a nutritionist that's telling them how to do it, right? They're, they're, they're testing it. They're, there's literally science and testing. And just like we do for our kids, we... Yeah, you know, our, look our, at look at the the carton and see the nutrition facts and okay, fat, protein. Yeah, it, it is carbs, what it is, right? I mean, yeah. we we send our kids to school and our and the schools have a nutritionist that says this is what they should eat for lunch and that's what that's what their school lunch is. Yeah, the dairies have a kitchen, right? Like it's maybe not commonly known, but the commodities area is known as the kitchen. Mm-hmm. They they blend lots of different products together to come up with the right nutrition value. To, to get the, that cow the best nutrition they can get so that they can do the best job they can do for the dairy farmer. And, and same thing for feedlots. Like, they understand it. And we have some products we don't sell to dairies that we sell to feedlots because they're better fit for feedlots. Mm. They're, they're not good for dairies, but they're, you know, for what they're trying to do with the cow, but they're better for what the, the feedlots trying to do with the cow. So there's it, it's really understanding the best use of of the product and working with the nutritionists that, that tell us where we should go with it. And, and that's, that's how we decide what we do. We keep every product individual until we decide where it's going. Sometimes we blend it. Sometimes we mix it with two or three products to make a consistent product that those feeders can feed consistently with the hay and the silage and everything else they're feeding. So, yeah, it's... Other than meat, is there anything in the grocery store that cows won't eat? Oh man, I don't. I guess I don't. they ended up eating kind of like humans, right? Well, plus you know corn silage and grass silage and yeah. triticale and things like that. Exactly. I mean, we we haven't stumbled across anything, right? It's all as a diet. It's all sugars and starches and carbohydrates and roughage. And I mean, we we all need it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. whether we're cows or, or humans, we're all eating the same. Yeah. balance of there, there's a certain balance that makes us want sugars and starches and roughage and and that's really proteins and that i mean there's it, i i don't i can't think of anything right now coming out of the grocery store that yeah. doesn't doesn't go to it that can't be useful in a cow so how much outdated or whatever for whatever reason rejected food and again i don't want to call it food waste even though that's what it's commonly called but as you're pointing out it's not waste because it's totally usable. How much of that are you dealing with every year? Uh, right, just in our depackaging line right now, we're averaging somewhere around fifty-two to fifty-six semi-loads a week, and we capture from weight in. We do it weight in, weight out, and mm-hmm. so our recovery is about eighty-seven percent. So we get eighty-seven percent of the weight that came in. So if you bring a hundred tons in, we're getting eighty-seven tons out to go to feed. And then we're getting 13 tons that goes to a landfill or a recycler. Right. So it's it's a big it's a big difference rather than all of it going to the landfill. Correct. So in a year, how much food are you keeping from going to a landfill? I mean, I'd have to do the math, but I mean, you're talking millions of pounds. uh, Last year, between the two companies, between our bulk side and our depackaging side, we were just under three million tons. Um. So, three million tons. Three million tons in, in the between Oregon and Washington <laughs> that went to animal feed versus somewhere landfill. else, landfill or compost, compost, or whatever. whatever. We we moved 
just under 3 million tons last year. Now, is there some of that stuff that you can't recover as animal feed that then goes and is composted? Yeah, so we, we send, we have a compost site and we send, you know, the meats, we send the stuff we recover out of the glass containers, that type of stuff, we'll, we'll send that to compost. I mean, that's which isn't whether, a bad use of it either. Whether it's ours or somebody else's compost, yeah. we we send it to compost to make sure that it's used and and uh, can happen. There's some some things that we have to reject due to pathogens or something that we we can't use. Yeah, and that goes to the landfill. And you know, there's there's certain landfills like the one in Boardman. They capture all that gas mm-hmm. and they put it back into making electricity and and so it's really about good partners and who you're trying to work with um to try to make it the best you can make it no matter what it is and so there's just some things we can't do but we we want to have good partners that we do it with and and that's what we're that's what we're shooting for well you hear so much about again back to the term food waste and it's such a problem and what are we going to do about it and you know i really it comes up often and you know like food system articles about the food system articles about environmental issues and in my experience with the reading that i do it's often just kind of left out there like it's this big problem what are we going to do people need to be more careful you know when they're buying food not to waste so much or something when you understand the whole system that's not where most of it comes from for one and number two they don't really offer much in the way of solutions when you have a solution right here and you're doing it yeah, I think so. With DQ, I've read a lot of their numbers, and off the top of my head, I think they say some somewhere towards like forty high forties percentage of food waste is created during transportation and transloading, and and that happens because we as consumers we don't want it, right? Mm-hmm. The forklift goes into the truck to move the pallet out, and they stab the fork into a two thousand pound bag of flour. Well, the food processor can't sell that as flour. They're like, oh, most of it's good. We'll put it in new bags. No, the whole thing. They can't do it. They got to go. So what do you do with it? You got to find another use for it or you got to send it to the landfill. I mean, it's that that's we as consumers have made the, the, the regulations and the rules so tight on these guys that we are creating over 40% of the food waste because of their rules and their, their regulations Mm. they have to follow. We, we aren't really into the post-consumer food waste right. program. That's not what we do. We do the pre-consumer, the, the grocery stores, right. the retail, the processors, the transportation. I mean, we, we work with transportation guys that when they have a wreck on the freeway. What are you going to do with all that? What are you going to do with all that stuff that lands on the freeway? Well, they didn't plan on it. Well, we go in and we take it and we process it and we turn it back into feed. So we're, we're focused on the the 40 some percent that happens before consumer and then we don't do the retail we you know we don't do the the uh restaurants we don't mm. do person you know home individual homes right. we don't we which don't do there are like thing. municipal systems that are developing for that and they're getting like composting programs and things Correct. like that for that end of food waste but you're all before that yeah we're focused on everything chain. before that and, and we're trying to really get people to understand that it's a commodity at that point. It's still got value. As long as it's still in a package and it's still got quality control and there's, there's, we can still understand it and we can test around it and we can guarantee that it's not mixed with meat or it's not mixed with something that's, that, that's not going to be healthy for the cow, not going to override regulations, <laughs> then yeah. we, we want to make it un, back into a commodity that still has value and still drives value. And we're talking some of the stuff that people would call food waste, you know, has a value of anywhere from 30. I think the cheapest thing we sell is maybe 30, $35 a ton. And the highest thing we sell is over 200 a ton. And, and, and prior to us recapturing it, it, yeah. it it's going to go to a landfill. So the, if you think about the amount of economics that's behind that and the, the amount of, revenue that the food processors and you want to talk about inflation and how prices of food gets expensive and everything gets expensive those guys have to pay every day every time they have a problem versus having the ability to take it somewhere that that's going to be either cheaper or pay them to take it 
is is a big is a big deal. We all have bills, we all have expenses, and to be able for them to drive value out of yeah. what they would have had to throw away is a, is yeah. a huge if, expense. If there isn't value there, then it is going to become waste. Yeah. And then it is going to become an environmental negative. You know, so that value actually drives the environmental benefit. Yeah, we talk about uh, greenhouse gases all the time, right? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about landfills and we're talking about cows and we're talking about cars and everything that creates these greenhouse gases at the end of the day, we need to be talking about what, okay, we can't deny cows create greenhouse gases, but what we can talk about is if I moved 3 million tons last year that didn't go to the landfill, that didn't create a greenhouse gas, that didn't just sit there and rot and become nothing. And those cows ate 3 million tons worth of product do they get a credit for yeah. the, for yeah. the gases that they made yeah. because they saved that three million tons from making gases as well because it's all now doubled up into a cow? I mean, mm-hmm. it, we we've drove value out of it, and you're talking about uh, a feed that otherwise we we can, we sell our product against contemporary feed products, corn corn silage, grain corn hey, we, we have to compare it against something to come up with a value. When you do that, we're taking something that was going to go to waste. We're creating a commodity out of it. And now we're, we're like it. I don't even know. We're, we're working on the process with some people to figure out what our neutral point is. Mm-hmm. But we at least have to be at zero at the point that we get yeah. it because we, we didn't take any extra energy to make it we didn't get anything it was already made for human consumption so are you getting attention for uh, is this on anyone's radar screen for the like climate benefits you know if that's what people are worried about that's what you're doing you're like the rubber has met the road yeah no (laughs) so we we don't do that because we until you know maybe six months ago to us it was just the right thing to do right it wasn't it wasn't about Let's get the attention. Let's try to show everybody how great it is until like we didn't understand that it was a big agenda, like that it, everybody, we, we were just trying to do the right thing by our customers. We were just trying to do the right thing by our vendors. We, we were just trying to do the right thing yeah. <laughs> and make sure that it was, that it, it went to the highest value that it could go to because all the energy, all the fuel, all the time, everything that went into growing that potato or making that bean or that lettuce or whatever, it was already there. And if we didn't recapture it, we didn't use it for something, then it was a waste. And and it was just unnecessary work. Well, now we're understanding that not only was it necessary work, it was unnecessary emissions. It was not necessary everything between the freight and the planting and the harvesting and the fertilizing and everything. There was just a lot used there. Now we're being able to recapture that, so it's not, it's not wasteful. It's, it's yeah. beneficial. And every ton we pull out of that realm replaces a ton that has to be grown. So how much more are we saving now? Because yeah. we, we're taking something that didn't get used, making a use out of it, and replacing yeah. something that we were going to have to put the time into planting, fertilizing, watering, harvesting, marketing shipping like there, there's just a ton of time that we save now on the other side and that's really we haven't done that calculation we don't know what it is so you, so you said you you're doing it just because it's the right thing to do and you're developing this business up until six months ago what changed six months ago uh really i was just watching some political agendas on the the green movement and everything. Yeah. And I was just like, man, I wish people just understood that we're, there are people out here that are just doing it because it's the right thing. It's not because there's some agenda behind it or anything else. It's just the right thing. We have customers that have been supporting us for 11 plus years just mm. because it's the right thing to do. It makes economic sense. Nobody wants to see it go to waste. I mean, even the landfill people we deal with that, that, we talk to and we we have to send our products to they don't even want to see it go there like if there's a better use make it a better use yeah. like they they're not they're they're not saying well you have to send it all to us like they're not doing that at all everybody understands it's just the right thing to do so uh, you know the the 
the political agenda is what really made us go, wow, we should really start educating people on the fact that there, there are people. Like in agriculture, we understand animal husbandry. We understand how to take care of the planet. We understand how to take care of the ground because that's 100% of our livelihood. That's, yeah. that's what we do every day. And, and that's really why we started kind of changing our mindset and wanting to get out there and, and reach other regions to make sure that they understood because yeah. in, in the region we live in, the Columbia Basin, it's natural. Like this is just what we do every day. Other areas, it's not that way. So we're we're trying to give that same benefit to those guys. That's interesting because, like I was saying earlier, in all the reading that I do, it's usually presented as a problem without a clear solution. And you're saying that's not necessarily the truth. There is, a, you know, maybe not for all 100% of this food waste issue that people are concerned about, but for a big chunk of it, you're saying there is a solution. You're doing it here, and it could be done across the country yeah no definitely i mean if you look at uh you can take potato for example the potato processing the people that make all the french fries and do all that there it used to be this big 10 years ago 12 years ago it was a big issue there was just so much of it around land applying it we didn't know what to do with it nationwide like there was just well now you have industries like the pet food industry that there's industry built around drying it and making it into an ingredient that works for the pet food works for the dairies, works as a supplement for starch. Like there's all these industries that have developed around let's figure out how to use it so that it's, it's not a problem anymore. Like we, we, we are literally stepping up to fix our own problems because it's the right thing to do in business and it's the right thing to do (laughs) with all the extra energy we've put into it. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, I, I think the majority of the issues we see in the food waste realm, as you would you would call it, are, are solvable for the majority just by using common sense and, and understanding and, and having some people not take the easy button and, and right. just put some time into it. And they talk about food waste like something like 30-some percent. I forget the specific number, but I think it was in the 30, 35% range of food is food waste. Or something. Again, you don't view most of that as waste. And a lot of that probably does happen before the consumer end of it. And that's where you're playing ball. Yeah. I mean, I've heard numbers anywhere from the high 30s to, to 50% really? that, that they say is, is waste. From what's grown on the farm to what meets the table. And, you know, who knows what's right? Who knows what's not? Yeah. If you see the portions that we get, individual portions now, they're a lot smaller. And, and I think that's probably helping with the food scrap problem when it comes off your your post-consumer table, right? Like yeah. we're having smaller steaks, we're having smaller potatoes, we're having smaller yeah. everything. Prior to that, the best thing we can do is understand how to get, you know, food processors, food handlers, distribution centers, uh, you know, the chip companies of the world that are going into Walmart and pulling out chips that are off out of date. Like, okay, well, they're pulling them off the shelf out of date. What are they doing with them? Well, the majority of them are throwing them in a dumpster because Mm -hmm. there's there's not, the education is not out there on what to do with it. People like us can take that and we can create a product that is then used in a beneficial upcycling process that, it's not waste. Now the only thing wasted is the bag you had it in. Well, okay. Well, that's a lot less by weight and yeah. volume. And, and, and yeah. I don't know how much that bag makes when it goes to the landfill as far as greenhouse gases, but I'm going to yeah. guess it's a lot less than the organic matter that was inside yeah. it. Well, and like you're not in a position to do something about that. So yeah, that's not what I we mean, do. So maybe somebody else can figure out something on that or we can, yeah. But you're doing what you can with what you have available, doing what you do, what do you think, you know, overall, if, if your kind of philosophy and your type of operation was happening all over this country, what do you think we could bring food waste down to? You know, we, we are, I mean, we're definitely interested in doing it in every state in this country. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're, we're not selling our equipment. We're not sharing it with others. And I, I would... Every one of our facilities with the way it's set up right now can handle 50 to 60 semi loads a week. And we plan on building two a month or two a year every year 
moving forward. We have our second one going in first quarter of next year. We have another one that we're planning for third quarter. So we plan on a first quarter and a third quarter every year moving forward, just depending on where we can find the people that are interested in having us do it. So your vision is big. Yeah, we 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 think we can make. You know, I I tell people they go well. Can where's the market end? I don't know where where's the dried canola market end. Where's the dried cottonseed market end? Those were all byproducts. Those were all waste products before they became an industry, right? Before they com- became a commodity and there was an industry built around them. Yeah, they were a byproduct. Why can't we do the same thing? Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it takes somebody to do it and we're pushing to do it. And that's what we want to do. I mean, we plan on doing two facilities a year and by first quarter, we're planning on handling 120 loads a week, just in the Northwest. And those are semi loads. They're 25 to 30 ton semi loads. That's, I mean, you guys do the math. Yeah. 20, 20 semi loads at 30 tons is 600 tons. So <laughs> if we're doing a hundred of them, yeah, we're we're doing five times that. So we're thirty five hundred tons a month or a week. That I mean, that's really what we're. So if your vision continues, and this spreads across the country, you could, with your system, drastically change the future of this food waste problem here in America. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, we as a group could change it, right? I can't do it alone. I can, right. I, I can process it, but we got to have the customers that want to buy it. We've got to have the understanding. We've got to have the control, the quality control behind it, right? We can't just go blatantly depackage whatever we want to depackage. Yeah. No quality yeah. control rights, right? We, we've got to make it a standard, just just like those other industries that I mentioned earlier. They have a standard. They Everybody yeah. knows when they're buying it. They ship it by the rail car. Our plan is to ship it by the rail car. Like that's mm. that's our plan. That's what we want to do. We know here at home we could use another million tons. We'll ship it here by rail car for another million tons. Like we'll do that because these people here we know they'll feed it. They understand it. Will other parts of the country understand it? I bet they will. But it's going to take some education. It's going to take some understanding and some quality control and some you know just time spent. So for us as we grow it out, we're gonna. We're going to ship it back to the P&W because we know that market's here. Mm-hmm. And then as we educate other parts of the country on what we do as we build facilities there, then we'll start divvying it up. How did you get started on all this? Uh, like, on all this as far as what? <laughs> well, the food upcycling that you're doing. But even before that, like, what's your background in farming and so yeah, where'd you grow? How'd you grow uh, up? What'd you oddly do? enough, I did not grow up in farming <laughs> at really? all. I grew up uh, third oldest of 13 kids in a single wide trailer in Danville, Illinois. Wow. Like it is the, you know, <laughs> not, it's not, uh, it's not an ag world. Like it was, we, you know, I, I grew up on, uh, in a very poor community in a very rough neighborhood. And, and I was just, joking with root before you got here like I, I grew up as one of the kids diving in the dumpster to get the bread the day old bread out of the dumpster because we couldn't afford it mm. and my mom uh my dad lived in oregon and my mom was you know she she was married remarried things weren't going that great she had a lot of kids i i was uh maybe a bigger handful than, than she wanted to deal with at the time. So she sent me to live with my dad um, that I frankly had only met one time prior to that. And I lived with him for a year and then him and my stepmom kicked me out. And, um, you know, the one thing I'll never forget is my dad came out to the kitchen and said, he's not losing his wife over his worthless son. I was 13 and I was just like, okay, I went to a friend's house and said, Hey, what I need to borrow your phone so I can call my mom and get home. And uh, they loaned me the phone. I called my mom, and she's like, I don't have any money. Like, I I can't get you home. Like, we're 2,000 miles away. I can't get you home. So my buddy, his stepdad showed up that night and said, hey, you can stay with us. And he, I stayed with them. The next morning I got up. They made breakfast. They they raised cows. He owned a mobile slaughter. He's a great guy. And they didn't have a lot of money either, but while we were at breakfast, he just said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you just stay with us? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I should go home. And he called my mom, and over a 10-minute phone call on a fax machine, he had guardianship of me till I was 18. 
And that guy changed my world. He taught me how to work. He taught me cows. He taught me agriculture. He taught me just, you know, it wasn't about money. It was about lifestyle. Mm. And he, I remember I was 18. I asked him, why do you do this, right? He did mobile slaughter. He raised cows. He just didn't have a lot of money. And I said, why do you do this every day? Like, it's 20 hours a day every day. You got nothing. And he said, I don't do it for the money. I do it for the lifestyle. Mm. This is what I want to do every day. And he said, you'll understand money doesn't, doesn't make it happy. It's doing what you want to do that does. And just that work ethic that he instilled in me from the time I was 13 to the time I was 18, he was always the guy I went back to clear through my 20s till he passed away here not too long ago. Mm. Um, he, he, you know, every time I went back to Illinois, I would call him and thank him for keeping me from going back. But, you know, he really changed my world by, by spending that time yeah. and, and educating me. And uh, You wouldn't be here today. Your life would be totally different. Be a totally, if you would have made that call. Yeah, totally different deal and uh you know one of the most selfless acts i've seen right they they didn't have to do it but they did and uh not being from the ag community i didn't really understand what normal ag was right yeah and i read a book when i was 19 that uh was first break all the rules right so (laughs) it's a business type book a guy gave me he said you should read this and i came back to him a couple weeks later and he said well what'd you get out of the book and i said well this, this, and this. And he said, that's not what I got out of the book. And I was like, well, that's what I got. Like, you, you guys you guys are all talking about, like, this is the avenue. This is what everybody does. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, you want to talk about don't talk to a customer and, and not break the rules. My world, in my mind, it was like, there, there really are no rules. I don't understand the ag. I don't understand traditional ag because I didn't, I didn't grow up there. So I got an outside perspective of how to make make it work and which is needed sometimes yeah and the first company that i was involved in the first company that i owned was uh pacific ag and, and my partner was bill levy and that business uh i was 20 he was like 24 right <laughs> we were college kids and that business was crop residue all we did was bail crop residue we just mm. went behind the bean pickers and the pea pickers and and though we we did crop residue we didn't do contemporary hay we didn't do timothy we didn't do that for the first six years of our existence we just did at that time was was waste that's what everybody called us yeah the waste guys yep and we went and figured out how to bail it and dry it bail it market it everything and we started selling pea vines against alfalfa for same money right like mm-hmm. all of a sudden we were taking something something that they had to pay to get rid of or really caused them problems so they couldn't put their sweet corn right behind their peas because they couldn't plant through the pea vine residue we fixed that problem for them we were selling it for 200 and some bucks a ton against alfalfa and they were able to plant their sweet corn yep. a week earlier and and everybody was winning so makes good feed too excellent feed it's great we used to have a lot of peas up where i grew up in fact my dad before he grew red raspberries grew peas so there was a lot of pea vine hay being made and like my grandpa and his brothers used to do uh, corn cannery waste sweet corn waste for animals you know back in the day mostly probably because they were poor you know they didn't have a lot of money so they saw an opportunity to get some feed if they did the labor themselves so yeah I totally get that. Yeah, one of the interesting things I went to a I went to the Waste Expo in Vegas this year, and I sat mm. in on some. I had my twelve year old with me, and we sat in on some forums, and they were talking about food waste and how food waste can't be handled on a commercial scale because people like your dad, right? Like they're small owner operators, they'll take it, but nobody wants to do it. Nobody can do it on a commercial scale, and we were about an hour into one session and my 12 year old looked at me and said, what they're saying you, that you literally can't do what you do every day. And you're like, um, and over I, here, I, I, said, I do it. <laughs> I told my 12 year old, I'm like, I'm really glad you're understanding. Like you're developing what they're talking about, but this is what we do as a business. Yeah. We come here, we listen, we learn so we can understand how to educate those people that it can be done on a commercial industrial level. Like that right now, the entire a large majority of the, the country doesn't think that it can be done on a commercial and industrial level, but we're doing it every day. That's what we do. So there, there is the possibility. And it took a kid that had no idea what agriculture yeah. was around 
to figure out how to do it and some really good mentors and some people that were willing to take the risk on trying it out and understanding it. And, and, and that's, that's the community we live in every day. Now you have your own farm too, right? I do. Yes. Down in Oregon. Yep. Yeah. We, we bought our own farm. We raise our own cows. We raise our own hay. Uh, I just bought another farm and we're putting in uh, flowers and doing the greenhouse and the indoor grow and everything to, to raise fruits and vegetables and all that, that is, that stemmed from my daughter, Addison, which is what our companies, if you've, if you haven't noticed, our companies are all named after my kids. <laughs> so <laughs> there's Addie's alternative and there's Wyatt and there's Carter. They're all named after the kids. And, and that was because I wanted to do something that reminded me and everybody I worked with why I'm doing it. It's for them, right? Like they, so my daughter really loves flowers. So I said, you know what? She's four, but let's go do flowers. So we're, we're doing flowers and we don't use contemporary fertilizer. We use compost. We use, I mean, we're, we're really on this. We try to do it as, as sustainable as we can, even though it's a little bit more work and it's a little bit well, that that's just who we are as, as people. And, and that's what we're doing. And my boys is my boys have, you know, they're, they're 10 and 12 now and they cut and stack and bale and rake and, you know, they're, they're working, they understand work ethic. And, and the one gift, like I told you that was given to me was work ethic. Yeah. And, and that's what I try to, my kids are dirty. If you look at, <laughs> if you look at Addie's alternatives website, like it's pictures of my daughter, Addison, and she's just filthy. Like that's, that is the website. Like that's, yeah. she's out there helping, working in the dirt and she, they love it. They just have so much fun doing it. And as a lifestyle, that's that's the lifestyle I want them to have. Like yeah. that's they they enjoy it so much. As far as what you're doing and what you're accomplishing, does everybody seem to get it when they hear about it, or has there been some pushback on what you're doing to take you know food waste and feed it out? Have- uh, I, I think for the most part, between the suppliers and the customers, there's. You know, there's a lot of belief in it. Where we really struggle is the regulation, mm. because there's, you know, it, if it's coming out of the back end of a processing plant or out of the back end of a distribution center or something, typically it's it's referred to as waste through the government agencies, right? Because it's unused. So, you know, the definition of DQs is waste is uh, unused or discarded. So, if you just stop it when it comes out of the plant, then, then you're right, it's waste. But if you follow it down the road, once it gets into our truck, we're not buying waste, we're buying feed. That's, that's what we're doing. And so changing that fine line between it coming off of their forklift or out of their plant and into our truck, there's a magic line that makes it feed, right? Because <laughs> we're doing yeah. a different way. We, we face some problems. So there's uh, actually regulations that, I mean, considering the good that you're doing, it should be green lights, like, as long as you're being careful, you know, not doing stupid things, you're providing a huge benefit. Yeah, but I get, I get not to badger the, the government, it's just education and understanding, right? I mean, we've had, some, we've had some hard conversations and we've had some struggle with it, but once you educate them about what you're doing, it's not waste. And, and, but to the quick glimpse it, it looks like waste because it came out of an industrial plant. If it came out of an industrial plant, it's industrial waste. Well, only if it's not used for beneficial use. We're, we're, right. we're the beneficial use So they're trying to like apply the regulations, the regs that would apply to industrial waste. They're trying to say, well, you know, you can't do all these things that you're doing with it because it's industrial waste. Yeah, we've faced that issue in the past. We haven't seen it in, in quite a while now, in a few years, because we've done a really good job of just reaching out to Department of Ag and letting them know what we're doing, reaching out to DEQ and letting them know what we're doing, reaching out to the municipals and Department of Health and just saying, hey, look, like best practice. You want to come see it? Come see it. <laughs> we'll show it to you. We're, we're not trying to hide it, but it's not industrial waste. We're, we're, we've got quality control in place. We've got customers. We've got the paperwork and the tracking and it's not a waste and and so you know we we've just it's been an uphill battle i mean i don't don't know how how much 
money we've spent on fighting issues that that were regulations that were in place to protect people and to protect the industry. And to, I mean, I get why they were there, right? But sometimes to change things, you got to somebody's got to fight through it. Exactly. And, and we we did that, and it's. Uh, it's been tough and, and disappointing in days, but it's it's day, too bad that you have. I I get what you're saying that there are rules in place for a reason, and it's hard when you're kind of you're a disruptor. Yeah, right. As they talk about in business books, like you referenced earlier, but it, it's frustrating too when you're trying to do the right thing and good things, and some of those things stand in the way of that. Yeah, no, that's definitely, and we've learned from it, right? Because now, as as you say, we're a disruptor, and as we go into new areas, we've learned from the issues we've had before, and so now we're going in. I, I just uh, lined up some meetings for next week for a new new area we're going into to just meet with their governing agencies to say, this is what we're doing. Let's let's get ahead of it right. so that it's not a surprise when, when they go, wait, you can't do that. Let's just get ahead of it and educate them on what we're doing now so that everybody's on the same page and we don't face those same problems we faced before. And, and that's really what, we're, what we've learned out of it is, you know, upfront education helps us a lot on the back end, a lot less fighting because, you know, most people want, want to do the right thing. Most people want it to be used. Most people want to do that. But if they don't know what's happening, they're, they're thinking worst case scenario. And, yeah. and so we're, we're really focused on that's my job yeah. <laughs> for the company is right. really to, to explain to governing agencies and, and customers and vendors, like, this is what we do. I was going to say, you're going to do big things, but you're already doing big things. And you, with your vision, you likely will be doing huge things as far as moving the needle on this whole issue. And so I, I'm just fascinated and looking forward to watching what happens, I think everybody needs to know about this. I, I, especially anybody who cares about the environment, who cares about the food system, and particularly anybody who's out there talking or writing about food waste. They need to hear about this and know what's going on and be able to help and you know, make this a better solution. So I, this is awesome. And thank you for doing what you do and for telling us about it here. Well, I appreciate it. I, I wish I could say I did it for the for you know some greater cause other yeah. than it was just the right thing to do. I mean, yeah. we're really lucky to live in the community we live in, and the Columbia Basin is one of the most you know fastest paced growing uh, you know uh, productive communities, and and this area being able to be you know raised in this area and developed in this area has really pushed everybody to to just be better and you know i, I can't take all the credit for yeah. it i just i have some really good mentors and some really good people we work with that just pushed us to to be better at, at what we do and you know we we're, we're going to try to share that with as many communities as yeah. we can in the country so well best of luck to you as you tackle this I appreciate it. Thank you. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 